You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Let's get our program started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Our next guest has just been honored by the White House as a champion for change and has a has a film out, uh, Transgender at War and In Love, which is a short film focusing on the challenges faced by military service members Logan Ireland and Leila Villanueva, who are part of the U.S. military. Um, so let's welcome Fiona Dawson. And uh, by the way, I should mention, I've been dying to interview Fiona for a really long time. So Fiona, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. I had no idea you've been dying for a while since you've been here. That's that's really that's really cool to hear. <laughs> yeah, I think I I tried to to reach out, um, you know, maybe last year or something, and and then, uh, but I know there was a lot going on, uh, well, especially yeah. with with news regarding the transgender community. So thank you for so much for being here again. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for asking. I'm sorry I somehow missed out last time, but you know. I think the timing is everything, so it's a great opportunity to get to talk to you today. Exactly. So let's talk about your work and, uh, you know, the way that you've you've really been able to talk about policies that have discriminated against the transgender community is through your work as a filmmaker. Uh, I had just mentioned the short film Transgender at War and in Love, which basically follows Logan and Layla, uh, who are married, right? Yeah, they're actually engaged to be married, um, but they, they do call each other husband and wife, um, but their their wedding's going to be next May, May 17th, actually, and um, we're hoping to be able to film it um, and include uh, the wedding in the feature film that we're now working on. Oh, that's so, so wonderful. Wonderful. Congratulations to them. Now, in the short film, I mean, um, let's, let's break this down. Uh, you know, both serve in the military. Uh, did, did they meet while serving for the country? Yes, they did, although it wasn't um, directly in the military where they met because Logan is in the Air Force and Layla um, was then in the Army. Layla has actually since been discharged since the film came out. Um, But they met through a group called Sparta, which is um, an organization that advocates for transgender service members um, because trans people are twice as likely to serve than cisgender or non-transgender people. And so we estimate there are some 15,500 people who identify as trans who are in the military. So it's very important that um, people really feel connected to a community. So first of all, I do say that if anyone is listening to this and um, wants to um, help a trans service member connect with other trans service members, um, they can certainly contact me and I will help get them connected to Sparta. Um, but it was that group that uh, where Logan and Layla met. And now, the film explores something very important that we've talked about over and over and over, which is the military's um, policy on transgender military service members not being able to serve openly, which is still in effect, although there had been some reports that that may change by the summer of next year. Um, I, I, You know, it's, it's confusing because it's like it's not – there's not a law – uh, per se that bans transgender people it's just a policy that states that they they don't want transgender military service members to openly serve right 
Yeah, I would love to break it down for you, actually, because this is, this is a common area um, that where people are a little bit confused about what the situation is. Um, so if we think back to Don't Ask, Don't Tell, that was a law that was put in place that specifically um, banned people from being out with their sexual orientation. So it was specifically geared at sexual orientation. So, um, you know, for the first three uh, letters of our acronym, which I really see as an umbrella, um, but lesbian, gay, bisexual people could not um, um, come out with their sexual orientation. And it also forbid anyone to ask or or ask for anyone sexual orientation hence you know don't ask don't tell mm-hmm. um of course that was eventually repealed because we know how destructive it was and how it did not help the military in the slightest um so so that was repealed and repeal was put into effect in 2011 um and studies have demonstrated that there's been no negative backlash at all um you know it's been very positive so you know really there's no reason why people can't be out with their sexu- sexual orientation um but as frequently happens i think even within our lgbt community uh, we we kind of just lump us all into to one box and assume that that helped the entire LGBT community. Well, again, it was a sexual orient. It was against sexual orientation. Today, still exists and has always existed, even through the years of DADT. Outdated medical policies currently prohibit trans people from serving. So it's not just one policy that says, you know, trans people can't serve. It's a number of different policies that um, prohibit their service. And I'll just highlight one as an example. Um, you may have heard of um, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the manual that psychologists and psychiatrists use to to um, to uh, determine someone's um, mental and emotional health and state. Um, DSM three states that um, being transgender is a psychological um, disorder. Um, now, if you have a psychological disorder, then you are not medically fit to serve in the military. However, that's outdated. The current DSM-5 um, um, changed that and stated that being transgender is a psychological condition and it's treatable. Um, now, if you have a psychological treatable condition, then you can serve in the military. So here is a very direct example of how this outdated medical policy is unnecessarily banning transgender people from serving. So um, we're very fortunate in that there is momentum and work being done in the U.S. military. So Secretary of Defense Carter came out earlier this year and established a working group to be able to assess all of these different policies. And when he came out uh, with this working group, he said, I want you to operate under the assumption that trans people can serve. So he's kind of taking a positive step forward. So today, these outdated policies still exist. So people are still banned. um, But um, a working group is looking into it. And discharges for being transgender have been raised to the Pentagon level. So if anyone's unit wants to try and discharge someone on these outdated policies, they actually have to get it signed off to the highest level. And I actually, I could well be wrong here. I think it it, um, it could be the chairperson of the working group, but it's it's significantly higher. Forgive me, I forget it, which rank, but it's like one or two steps below the Secretary of Defense, which is outrageous. No one's going to push something that high. So hopefully next year, 2016, we will be ringing in a new year and looking towards uh, finally trans people being able to serve in the, in the American military. 
And that brings me to uh, reintroducing you. We're speaking with Fiona Dawson, a filmmaker who had just been uh, honored by the White House as a champion of, of change for her work in creating the film Transgender at War and in Love. And so that brings us, you know, to some progress, although it's not, you know, it's not here yet in terms of the progress we want to hear. But I would think that, you you know, of course, you've served a very uh, tremendous and huge role in at least breaking down uh, and, and bringing, you know, the discrimination that trans military service members face uh, to to White House attention. How does that make you feel to be honored by the White House? It was extremely humbling and kind of over the top praise, really. <laughs> um, but the reason why I lap it up is because I really want the project to be visible. Like I, the project comes first and foremost, the service members come first and foremost. So the attention it gets to be able to say, look, you know, incredible people are serving our country and are being discriminated against and we need to make it better. Um, that is the positive outcome that I love from, from this recognition. Um, I also have to give like praise and thanks to my um, co-producers, Gabe Silverman and Jamie Coughlin, who um, really are the magic and the grease um, with this, and, and Matt Rhodes, our editor, because um, the four of us together finally put transgender at war and in love. I mean, I was the person that kind of cooked up the idea three years ago and started working on the project um, and did filming and, and, and kind of pushed it forward. But it, we really kind of got the magic going when the New York Times commissioned uh, us to, to make transgender at war and in love. And it's just been so rewarding to actually be able to be a part of um, a huge movement and actually visibly see change in front of your eyes. Um, there's not one person or one organization who has the right to claim credit for the progress that we're seeing. But collectively, as we're combining all of our efforts, we are seeing a visible difference, and um, and that's tremendously exciting. Oh, I want um, this great segue into in touching in, in what I want to ask. I mean, you know, Alison Robinson, yeah. who's an Army veteran and the Sparta yep. Director of Policy, had said that, you know, you have a remarkable gift, but also you're a powerful ally to the transgender military community. And you just, you know, really uh, embrace that in terms of even what you said in accepting this honor, uh, that it, it isn't just all about you. What, you know, kind of advice can you give people that uh, call themselves allies, um, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, how to be a great ally to the trans community, which is so deserving of our, you know, full and utmost attention at this critical time? The very quick answer to that is never speak for transgender people. Um, you know, for those that um, haven't, uh, you know, don't know me socially or online or whatever, because I'm very vocal about this, um, you know, I'm um, a cisgender bisexual woman and um, I'm very open and out and honest about who I am. Um, and, you know, the reason I do this work is because I've always cared passionately about human rights and human equality. And I got involved um, in transmilitary simply because I saw an opportunity to be able to try and help and do something. I've always loved volunteering for different causes. And here was um, an area of work where um, there was a gap and I could step in and do something um, and work alongside brilliant people, um, in also including, in, in addition to Sparta and, and Alison Robinson, um, it was 
Aaron Belkin of the Palm Center who nominated me for the award. And um, his work and his team's work is tremendous. They are the policy and research think tank for all LGBT issues in the military and did a huge amount of work around the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and now working on trans issues without policy and research. Um, the storytelling that I do um, can't be backed up by stats and facts. Um, you know, without the um, the policy work and lobbying and the stories within Sparta, um, there is no film to make and um, there are no conversations to be had inside the Pentagon. So you can see that when everything comes together, um, it works. But going back to your question about being being an ally, um, I actually always still find this a really hard question to answer because... Mm. I think it's simply, I, I think it's simply respecting other people for who they are and their experience, and never assuming or guessing that you know what it's like to live in someone's shoes. And I would say that's the same for for all people. You know, not just being a trans ally, but being an ally. I mean, right now, um, an Islamic ally. You know, being an ally of of, the, of our Muslim brothers and sisters and all in between, because. You know, I know very little about their religion, but I know that they're a human being. And, and if you want to be an ally, then you you um, you be friends with them, mm-hmm. you respect them, and if you see an opportunity for their story to be heard, you you find the platform, you step aside, and you give it to them. So, as much as I'm a ham and I love being on the radio and I love <laughs> being on TV and I love doing all of that kind of stuff, it, you know, it makes me feel alive. I always have to keep myself in check and make sure that you never take the spot of where a trans person has an opportunity to tell their truth. That is so wonderful. I'm going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to dive into your thoughts about, um, you know, storytelling, especially trans lives and their lived experiences that Hollywood has now started to tell. And I want to get your thoughts on that. So stay with us, okay? Okay, thank you. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest on the phone is someone, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've been dying to talk to. <laughs> and that's because I think that she's such an incredible ally to our work and what we do. And that's Fiona Dawson, who's just been honored by the White House as a champion, uh, a champion for change. I'm going to say of change champion for change uh, for her work as a filmmaker in addressing the military's ban on transgender military service members from openly serving. Uh, Fiona, you know, I mentioned right before the break that Hollywood has really uh, just, I don't even want to say dive. I mean, they just jumped into the pool of, of <laughs> making movies yeah. in inclusive of transgender people. Uh, but here's the thing. Some of those roles are being played by cisgender men. And, you know, for you as a filmmaker, you obviously are telling the stories of of real, true, authentic, lived experiences. How does it make you feel that some of these films are getting, you know, massive Hollywood attention, but not necessarily being authentic to the actual role? Yeah, I feel like um, I'm sure that there are lots of people who could kind of relate to the position of being a starving artist as it were for many years and you've got this amazing idea and you know that the world needs to see it and you just got to keep going and, and pushing and making it happen and you know I look back as my like I've been working on transmilitary for three years but that seems a long time for me but I, there are people out there who've been working for trans rights for decades you know and worked for decades all their life and didn't live to see the incredible exposure that we're getting today so you know i'm i'm just i'm just a, a tiny person compared to all the people out there that have been pushing for these stories at the same time it can feel extremely frustrating at times when um, 3 years ago you had this amazing idea and even in just three years ago, no one really cared about sharing trans stories, uh, let alone trans people in the military. Um, so today, seeing all this Hollywood exposure, like you have to embrace it, I think, and say, look, this is progress. This is a good thing. And these are the, fi- the films and the movies and the media that are breaking down the doors so that my project can come to life as well and, and can see the light of day and get to the large platform that I envisioned for it. Um, to address your question about um, you know cisgender men playing trans women's roles um, I have a couple of different angles of thought on this and I know um, the Danish girl of course immediately comes to mind because um, they previewed that along with the White House award and um, when we first started seeing cis men playing trans women's roles I immediately jumped to no this is horrendous um, you know trans women should be getting these roles. Um, As I've had more time to sit and think about it, I think this is my position where I'm at. I think at the the end goal is that we want trans equality. We want transgender people to have the same opportunity as cisgender people. And so here we're talking about actors and actresses. So surely the talent of an actor is measured by their ability to act and portray a character or a person that they are not, and and I think the more removed you are from from uh, someone's reality, and but the better job that you do is acting their role. I think the more talented you are as an actor. So if trans actors want to be recognised for their work, they should be given cis roles. I would potentially suggest 
um, first or as much as possible. I think that, you know, that's what we're striving for is equality for in the work of the job. Um, and I think that, um, you know, if so, therefore, if a cis guy um, manages to um, portray the experience of a trans woman effectively, I would say, you know, it's, it's trans women who need to be the judges of their ability to, to act. So, you know, I think putting putting trans actors both in the role of being actors and then also, um, you know, critics and, and, and all the different jobs uh, within media, that's how we're, you know, advancing um, trans rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That would be, I, I, at the same time, I can... Imagine a trans woman being extremely frustrated when a cis guy thinks that they know how to share their life or how to portray their life. I, I, I took it from the uh, position of, you know, thinking it could be dangerous if we continue down this path of con continuing to cast cisgender men playing transgender women roles because it, it almost... Um, it, it perpetuates that stereotype that trans women should mm -hmm. look one way uh, or another or have some masculine features still, you know, and all those things. Um, that's kind of where my head went. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you um, in, in, as long in, in the perspective that if a story is being told and the predominant part of the story is of a trans woman before she started medically transitioning, then, you know, maybe, you know, the the male characteristics that are so prevalent because of testosterone, you know, is not so bad. But what frustrates me the most is the storytelling that simply focuses on the physical. And it's all about, you know, makeup and hair mm -hmm. and dresses and clothes. And it immediately jumps into a binary stereotype of what it is to be a woman as well. You know, and, and, you know, women are therefore defined, you know, how how womanly you are is defined on, you know, your appearance and all this physical stuff. And I think that's the bit that frustrates me the most, that that um, that it's all too often, um, you know, Hollywood-type dramas um, and not delving into the emotional and intellectual uh, and spiritual side of what it is to be a human being and instead focusing on all of the surface mm -hmm. levels. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there's time, there's something else I'd actually like to add on that vein. Yes, there is time um, for Fiona. Absolutely. I'm afraid I can talk. <laughs> like, no, I love it. I, you're an awesome, <laughs> amazing guest. And again, like I said, I, I've been waiting a while to, to talk to you. I, I have another question, but please add on. Okay. Uh, the, the other thing, and it is related to your question about, you know, how do I feel about the Hollywood stories? And I think it's amazing and awesome that so many actors and models and athletes are coming out as trans but i am so passionate about everyday americans having their stories told too and which is why one i'm extremely grateful that hollywood hasn't realized what an awesome idea trans military is because i want to do it mm -hmm. um but i think that it's transgender people serving our country their stories and their lives i believe are really going to tap into the heart of middle America, and then, I mean, my ambition is I want to get those transphobic bigots and I want who, uh, you know, love 
hunting and shooting and military. Like, and I want them to see these incredible people who are serving their country. And some people will say that I'm crazy to think I'm going to change their hearts and minds, but um, I'm going to damn well try. Oh, I think you've already done it. I mean, you know, I, 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 and, and being a part of it, like you said, collectively, we've all had, you know, a hand in this, right, in uh, reshaping the media and especially their relationship with the LGBTQI community. I mean, you think about um, trans uh, military service members such as Kristen Beck, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and I interviewed her. Uh, after you know she came out, it it, yeah. it felt like it was a very difficult time for her in navigating her place, even within the LGBTQ community. And today, or you know, at least currently, um, it seems that things are getting better for her. Would you feel that you know, out of the people that you've interviewed and the work that you've done regarding mm-hmm. trans uh, service members, that 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 might be also um, reflected in in the in in kind of the stories that they're retelling back to you like where are they now today where are they now well um and, and do you mean in in terms of how well they're received within the lgbt community or i think as a whole society? um as a yeah. whole and, and and you know we can at next time when i bring you back on we can dive <laughs> into the layers and the complexity of, of you know lgbtqi relationships but i think yeah. you know as a whole i mean what i've learned from somebody who is not only um, cis, but is also a civilian and grew up in another country. You know, I'm, my my life experience is pretty removed from the American military, um, and yet today my best friends are transgender service members, and I've come to appreciate the camaraderie and the family that the military has as a whole. Um, I think people often ask, you know, why do trans people serve twice the rate as cis people? And I think not only is it for the same reasons that um, cis people serve, you know, like employment and um, the sense of um, doing a job that um, makes you feel like you've accomplished something and you're and you're doing good for the world, um, but also if you if you know that. Um, it's harder to get a job as a trans person or you're more isolated or you're, you're kicked out by your family and you lose your friends. The military is a place that um, provides that social structure um, that every person needs. And so I think that um, there is a special, I don't, you know, there's a special bond and connection within the military. And I think if you're trans and in the military, then I think it's even deeper and deeper rooted. So I think that, I would hesitate. I hesitate to guess because, again, I'm not speaking for my trans service members. Yeah. But I would guess that because you have that connection, you don't necessarily seek those connections in this civilian LGBTQ community because you don't need it so much. Like you've got your family within the military, and I tell you, like Sparta members are a lock tight. And you know, I spent 11 years in Houston and was very much a part of the LGBT community, and so I know and how it feels to to. To, to, to be connected and, and the importance of being connected. And in my experience, I don't think that my trans service member friends um, need that connection outside of the military because it's mm. so strong within. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My last question for you, I know it's so sad, but you have to promise to come back and uh, talk more with us. <laughs> I uh, promise. <laughs> this is, like, you're so easy to talk to. You're great. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Um, 
well, you know, I followed your work like many people do in the LGBTQI community, so I I feel like I know you. Uh, but my last question is, you know, I'm a cisgender lesbian, and you mentioned earlier you're a cisgender bisexual woman, um, and uh, I identify as female as well. But you know, it it, it seems as if some of of us in the community, the you know, in in, in women's spaces, have a tough time uh, even defining the term feminism. And you know, because of your work, I just kind of wanted to hear your lasting thoughts and how we can, uh, you know, be. I don't want to say like better women, but but I do actually also want to say that too. And uh, and yeah. kind of, you know, and I think by saying better women, being much more supportive to our trans sisters. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll add a quick layer to that. I came out as lesbian or gay actually in 2004 and then came out as bisexual in 2012. And to me, the word bisexual means the same as or different from. Some people would argue and say, Fiona, you're actually pansexual. But I claim the word bisexual because I want to decrease by stigma and phobia as well. Um, and I think coming out as bi um, was, was scarier because then I felt like I had the LGBT community kind of against me or criticizing me as well. Um, although I certainly have the confidence to override any of that. And I think that you raise a very good point. I think that um, there does, I think there does still exist this stigma and prejudice uh, within our own community. And honestly, like to be better feminist, quote unquote, I mean, we just need to be better humans because mm. <laughs> I don't think that, I, and this kind of crosses and translates into advocacy for the transgender community and that really it's a gender issue per se it's like how do we treat people differently based on our perception of their gender um you know we know that gender is three different things it's one who you know yourself to be two how you um, present yourself to the world and three how you want the world to see you and um we we get caught up as 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 a society and in how we treat people differently based on on where we put them in our minds on the gender spectrum and i think being a good feminist is basically advocating for human rights and treating all people the same and i, I certainly think that um men should be considered that they're feminist too if they are um sticking up for um human beings regardless of their gender I, think I, I just recently posted on Facebook, you know, Emma Watson said, you know, how are men going to say the word feminist if women can't say it? And, and I think it's really true. Um, but hopefully we'll soon, you know, we're urging towards a world that is not going to see gender as a binary anymore. And I think that that's going to help significantly because right now the binary puts you in a male box or a female box. And if you're in a female box, then you're a lesser being than a male box. Mm-hmm. I think if we come to realize that actually gender is a spectrum, and we, there's no rank or hierarchy as to how you should be treated based on your gender, then maybe we might even the playing field a bit more and actually have um, equality. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, Fiona <laughs> Dawson, I love you. I love everything you say, and you're such a great, incredible activist and voice for our community and that you know is, is on the, the spe- our spectrum, the LGBTQI spectrum. So thank you so much yeah. for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me, and I can't wait to come back. (laughs) You better. That's a promise. Okay, I promise. (laughs) Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this, and uh, I'm I'm actually really excited for our next guest. I think we're going to have some laughs, some comedy, finally, here on the program. Don't go away. (laughs) 
You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And uh, yes, it is the holidays. I've been talking all about it. And you can tell that I'm just so excited to go on break. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I love about the holidays is the fact that I get to hang out with my family and karaoke and have fun. So we should do that on the show, too, before I go on break is have some fun. Very excited for our next guest um, as we celebrate the 23rd annual Kung Pao Kosher Comedy. <laughs> I love saying it. It's, it's Jewish comedy on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant. And every time I, I read that, I laugh. <laughs> so um, let's let's uh, let's welcome. Um, uh, the producer of the actual uh, festival, or I should say the show, uh, Lisa Godoldig and Dana Eagle, who is an awesome, awesome comedian. Welcome, la ladies. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I never heard anybody so happy about the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I, I celebrate every single type of holiday during the holidays um, just because I have friends like you guys and, uh, you know, I have family, you know, all over the place. So I, I love this idea of having a, you know, a diverse celebration in a comedy show. Um, I'm going to start with Lisa. Lisa, tell us, it's the 23rd annual. So 23 years ago, you sat around and thought that it would be a great idea to do a comedy show. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I got booked to perform at a women's comedy night outside of Northampton, Massachusetts, 
and it was a place called the Peking Garden Club, and I just assumed it was a comedy club, and I got there, and it was a Chinese restaurant. And I found myself telling Jewish jokes at a Chinese restaurant and <laughs> called a friend in New York the next day and said, I just had the most ironic experience. And out of that conversation came the joke of an idea of doing a Jewish comedy night on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant. And then I came back to San Francisco and just thought, I have to try this. So I wrote a press release, hired a bunch of comedian friends, went around Chinatown and tried to explain to them Jews and Christmas and Chinese food, and finally rented a banquet hall, at a, not a banquet hall, but a Chinese uh, restaurant banquet room, and started this event, and it took off like wildfire, and each year I just kept adding shows, and now it's the 23rd year, I would never have imagined, but uh, I guess my people and others who don't do Christmas or want to have an alternative to Christmas, wanted uh, to come laugh at Jewish comedy and Chinese restaurants. <laughs> I mean, again, I love the idea. I have to ask, though, um, you know, do, do, do your jokes ever, or do the jokes, because, you know, you have a lineup of other comedians, but do, do the jokes ever get lost on um, the Chinese people actually there to eat Chinese food on Christmas Day? <laughs> um, well, we rent the whole restaurant, so the people who are there for the show have just got it. tickets go to our show. Um, the audience is predominantly Jewish, but not entirely. There's Chinese Jewish couples. There's queers who are, you know, looking for something to do. There's just a mishmash of people. But I think a lot of humor is universal. For instance, the mother is universal. So I might do a Jewish mother joke, and then someone who's Chinese will come up to me afterwards and say, I have the same mother. So I, I've, I've decided that it's the same guilt, different dumplings. Um, I'm going to come back to you I'm going to move on to one of the stars uh, that's part of the lineup this year Dana Eagle who's been on uh, the the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson Comedy Central, Last Comic Standing and uh, Comics Unleashed Um, you know Dana, comedians make me very nervous and uh, not just comedians but (laughs) lesbian comedians because I never know what you're going to say and uh, I also don't think that I could ever make you laugh but maybe I could, what makes you laugh? Oh, what makes me laugh? Um, huh. What makes me laugh? Um, kind of, <laughs> conservatives? Conservatives make me laugh? I don't know. Uh, conservatives make you laugh. Lesbians without a sense of humor? Lesbians yeah, without a sense of humor. Yes. And a lot of, uh, a lot of, like, the, the L.A., like, because that's where I am, like, self-helpish, like, and people wanting to enlighten themselves. Always people trying to do better or be better, you know. I mean, I do try. I just don't try not to talk about it. And so, you know, whenever they talk about their new self-help thing or their new self-actualizing thing, that usually gives me a little bit of fodder. So do you actually eat? or And if you do, do you eat Chinese food? Do I eat Chinese food? Um, yeah, I mean, yes, I'm Jewish. We, we grew up, it was a staple in our home. So, yes, I grew up. Eating uh, Chinese food um, here, it's mostly. I had to do the switch over to sushi. That seems to be uh, the thing that happens. Um, and uh, yeah, I absolutely eat Chinese food. <laughs> okay, so um, <laughs> you know, what's your what's your favorite? People people always tend to. It's it's always interesting to me because uh, I actually have never had real true. Chinese food until I started dating a, a Taiwanese woman, and and she told me that you know stuff like uh, sweet and sour chicken and stuff like that 
it wasn't necessarily authentic Chinese food, but so I'm wondering if you guys have ever had authentic Chinese food. We're Jews. What do we know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, things like eating Gai Pan and Kung Pao and Daryl Sow's chicken. I think a lot of that stuff is Americanized uh, Chinese food. Also, fortune cookies were developed here in San Francisco or in Oakland. There's a, actually some people claim Oakland to fame and some San Francisco. So that's, you know, if you go to China and ask for fortune cookies, they'll look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> I actually put uh, Yiddish proverbs in our fortune cookies at Kung Pao. Um, they're transliterated into English. Um, <laughs> but, but just one thing about Jews and Chinese food, um, we all grow up going to a Chinese restaurant on Sunday nights. I don't know why. Dana, did you do that? Sunday night Chinese food? Just say yes. We did a lot of Chinese food, but also we do it on, we do it on Christmas because it was always the only restaurant open. I mean, I think that's just how it started, right? Cause right, yes. Wasn't yes. that always the only restaurant open was the Chinese restaurant? Everything yes. else was closed. Yeah, the origin of the idea for Kung Pao comes from the tradition of Jews going to a Chinese restaurant and a movie on Christmas because that's the only thing open, basically. And there's actually been an article written, there's a study done about the connection between Jews and Chinese food. I have it on my website. And, you know, some sociologists actually decided that because the food was plentiful and people were sitting around eating uh, Chinese family style, and also there's this thing about safe trace. Now, the word trace in Yiddish means non-kosher, like shrimp or pork, that we're not supposed to eat that. Um, but apparently, if you go to a Chinese restaurant and you're Jewish and there's just a little piece of pork and a little piece of a wonton, it's okay. I, mm. I, I I used to do this joke about uh, Jews aren't supposed to eat pork, but there's a small unknown clause in the Torah that says if it's wrapped up in a wonton, it's okay. <laughs> Michelle Miao, we're speaking with the producer of the annual Kung Pao Kosher comedy show, Lisa Godoldig, and uh, the the amazing, the most incredible, the beautiful, and uh, I guess awkward, it just says that on, on some blog that I read. <laughs> Dana Eagle, uh, comedian who's been on the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. Um, the 23rd annual Kung Pao Kosher Comedy Show is coming up. It's December 24th through Saturday, December 26th. And there are two shows, a uh, 5 o'clock dinner show and an 8.30 cocktail show. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wanted and to you ask. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have right. to be Jewish. You don't and have to be. And you don't have atheist. And you don't have to be 21 for the cocktail show. But you do have to have a sense of humor. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Have, yeah. I, I, every so often I've met someone who doesn't have a sense of humor. I've never understood how they can survive life just because everything's so absurd and you need a sense of humor to get by. Um, I, I definitely would love to attend. I'm going to see, um, you know, if my Chinese girlfriend wants to go with me. Uh, I wanted to ask Dana, you know, I said awkward earlier. Somebody, I, I read a blog somewhere that um, that, that you're okay with that, uh, you know, description. Uh, yeah, well, that would be because it's true. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, I am quite awkward. I'm a gay bipolar Jew with a lazy eye. I mean, there's really not a whole bunch more that's awkward than that. So you gotta just embrace it. I mean, what are you gonna do? You gotta kind of call it out before someone else does. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about this as you know the also the lesbian part. Um, you know, I I feel like you know so, like comedian like Amy Schumer, she does her whole thing on uh, on on like her weight and just kind of where she she stood in terms of growing up. Um, do you ever feel like you know making jokes about being the awkward lesbian kind of is like relief 
um, from the actual uh, L community. Sometimes I find there's a lot of pressure to, to be something in the L community. Well, I, I don't feel like my awkwardness has anything to do with being a lesbian. Like, I feel no, like definitely I'm kinda, each one carries its own pretty, pretty heartily. I, um, I, I have no idea what that question was, but it was probably <laughs> <laughs> um, to be something that I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I was always, I always did a, a, a straight club. And then when I moved to uh, more gay shows, then I didn't have to introduce them. I didn't have to softly hit the idea of, like, I'm gay, and, you know, and, uh, and, and make everyone else feel okay about it. So... Um, Here's where, where I was like was going level, with that. Like we want to hit a little deeper yeah. into the issues. So like you can go a little deeper than that. <laughs> you don't need to just skim the surface. Yeah, where I was going with that was you know just uh, claiming the you know the the, the lesbian uh, the the lesbian comedian or the lesbian nerd or the the yeah, goofy lesbian yeah. thing. You're you're always kind of faced with that because the thing is is like you don't want one you don't want one label to eclipse who you are. That's why I have all of my labels. I have the gay bipolar Jew with a lazy eye. Because, you know, people would be like, oh, she's a bipolar comedian. She's a Jewish comedian. She's a gay comedian. You know, and so you just kind of want to be able to switch. Otherwise, you don't want to be, you know, one note comedian. So, um, which, yeah. which contingent do you march with at the parade then? The awkward one? The lazy I guy? I march with whoever is, uh, whoever's writing down the check. I will be marching with <laughs> <laughs> I I guess we should make you know I wish make Dana a grand marshal or something, um, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna retract that because I think that we need to go through <laughs> the members or something before before I get a rash of protesters in front of me being like Michelle you do not go through the proper channels of selecting a grand marshal here we take it very seriously at San Francisco Pride. Hey girls, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to continue with both of you in talking about the uh, about your show. Okay, cool. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Lisa Gedoldig and comedian, the awkward bipolar lesbian with a lazy eye, Dana Eagle. You don't want to miss it. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. 
Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host and our guests. Guests, yes, plural, if you couldn't hear that. Um, our guests are producer Lisa Godoldig. She's the producer of the Kung Pao Kosher Comedy Show, which is happening uh, this month. And uh, you can get your tickets actually right now. And we'll tell you how in just a little bit. Uh, but also we have Dana Eagle, who is a comedian and very, I think I'm going to throw away the awkward um, lesbian description because I actually think you're very hot, Dana. Oh, thank you very much. That's nice, and I think this is a good time to say I'm single too. Oh, you are. Oh, we can pimp you out yeah. here on the show, and especially coming up, you know, uh, people want to meet you at the Kung Pao Kosher Comedy. You know, if they're into um, uh, Jewish chicks. <laughs> I hear I'm single too, and, and Lisa, <laughs> you know, this is awesome. So, you, and, and speaking of uh, you being single and hot, um, you know, what kind of what kind of woman would you be looking for? Oh, um, I like them all. Oh, but you go first, Lisa. <laughs> oh, one, uh, one's as awkward as a lazy eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not particular. Just, raise just, your standards a little. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not particular. Just, just Jewish and Latina. Uh, Jew, uh, Jewish and Latina. Yeah, well, if we we found yeah, a Jewish Latina good. woman at a Chinese restaurant, you'd have the world. Yeah, well, I'll be there every night in my tux, so you know where to find me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so so kind of, you know, talk to us about your set uh, you know, at the Kosher uh, Comedy Show that's happening uh, December 20, I would say 24 through the 26th. Um, anything special? Anything that we can expect that maybe we, we've not uh, experienced before? Um, Atheism. Atheism. Sorry. Uh, yes, Jews on Christmas, um, Yiddish proverbs and fortune cookies. Uh, let's see, uh, people who have no idea that it's actually Christmas outside. Uh, no Christmas carols. Um, very funny comedians. Wait. Wendy Liebman will be here from L.A. as well. And oh, wow. Mike Fine from New York. And, uh, yeah, just uh, a barrel of latkes. I love it. Dana, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to be talking about my favorite. My We won't be able to get to all of it. Like, not, we can't get to all of it, like, gay, bipolar, Jew, lazy. Yeah. Because also this year I added uh, lazy cancer. I got lazy cancer in my stomach. So I have that to talk about, too. That's um, hysterical. But I, I know. It matches the lazy eye. And, um... And yeah, so so that'll be it. And then it's very interesting because I feel like I'm often asked to do Jewish shows even after I come out as an atheist. It's like 
they don't let you out of the fold, the Jews. They're not letting you out, no matter what you say. They're just like, no, no, you're one of us. So, um, so, but I, I hope that'll be, I hope that'll be fun. I, I actually found over the past few years, I, I used to have to soften the gay thing for the straight audiences, and now I find everybody's okay with the gay. But then when you get to atheism, they they get everybody gets very very nervous. They don't want to talk about that. So. Uh, I plan to make it awkward so everyone feels at home. So I, I, I kind of feel awkward right now. I feel very sad. You just mentioned that, you know, you got lazy cancer. What does that mean? Did, did I miss something? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was a little heavy to drop. Um, no, I just got, it was pro- it's very, like, curable kind of thing. Like, I had a I had a stomach ache, and then they were like, this is probably in you for a long time, and I was like, well, which part, the lazy or the cancer? And they were like, well, probably both, considering how long you took to take care of it. And um, But it's very, uh, it's curable. It has like a 90, it, it, let me put it this way. This is a cancer like I couldn't even get out of gym class with. It's like a very cancer light. And uh, so it's a, it's a bit awkward. And I asked the doctor, I was like, well, uh, if you have a cancer and no one ever dies, do you still get to call yourself a survivor? And, uh, you know, so I still get to be like, I survived a cancer that everybody survived. So that's what I got going on. But it, so it was a fun year, but uh, I got treated, I got treated in the month of cancer, which I thought was interesting. I'm trying to stick with you. And this is the part where it's like, well, how far can a joke go, you know, uh, before it... It's uh, it's not a joke anymore. Um, and, but, but but I'm but very com- happy you're okay. But comedy yeah. is very healing, both yeah. to the comedy can be very healing both to the performer and the audience. So, you know, dealing with you know whether or not it's depression or cancer, it's, you know, you can you can only cry about it, or you can turn it into comedy material as well, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Lisa. So you're the wise one, and I mentioned that you're the producer. Um, but but I think you also, you know, I should have said it earlier. You're a comedian as well. So <laughs> are you? I am. Do you? Do you I am. You're funny too, right? Um, I can be. Yeah. Um, like when I get on stage to do comedy, I'm very funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dane and I actually met in the dead of winter last January in Minneapolis. We were both supposed to perform at a Jewish Humor Festival in Minneapolis, and they emailed me some months before and said, do you want to come to Minneapolis in January? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, but can we do something about the weather? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lisa, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you're here in San Francisco. San Francisco has changed a lot, and... Um, I, you know, I, I think that there are more atheists uh, living here in San Francisco, but then I think there are a lot more assholes, too. Uh, yes, they both start with A, but they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing a new children's book. A is for atheists. A is for alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, I, I was raised culturally Jewish, but religiously atheist. So it depends on the day if I say I'm atheist or agnostic, but um, I just don't believe in God uh, or just in the traditional sense of the word. Um, but yes, San Francisco's changed quite a bit. I live in the mission at Ground Zero, and uh, wow, sometimes I don't want to walk out the door because Valencia Street looks like Disneyland. 
Actually, mm. I say Valen- Valencia Street, San Diego, and uh, Mission Street is Tijuana. Mm. I would say Tijuana, Tijuana is a, a good description of it. Hey, thank you so much to both of you for joining me here on the show. And uh, I'm so excited for you. And congratulations on it being the 23rd annual Kung Pao Kosher thank Comedy you. Show. And can we let people know to go to koshercomedy.com for all their kosher comedy needs and tickets and information about the show? Yes, absolutely. So that's what I was going to do. Uh, be a good host to you. That was koshercomedy.com. You can get tickets there. It's Thursday, December 24th, and Friday, December 25th, and Saturday, December 26th. Uh, there's a 5 p.m. dinner show, and there's also an 8.30 cocktail show. And it's at the New Asia Restaurant at 772 Pacific Avenue. And uh, the extremely hot and talented Dana Eagle with the lazy eye is going to be there, along with Wendy Liebman and Mike <laughs> Fine. Thank you to you both. We'll talk to you soon. Thank okay, you so thank much. you so much. Bye. That was the end of the show. That was those are two great dynamic women. Yeah, they were fun to, to listen to. <laughs> um I hope you enjoyed the program today. We had Fiona Dawson and awesome uh, community uh, activist, filmmaker, you know, someone who's doing something outside of just, you know, her own community. And then you have Lisa Godoldig, Dana Eagle, who are absolutely representing for the Jewish lesbians um, mm-hmm. and for the Jewish and for those who don't celebrate Christmas. So A is for atheists and A is for <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us here on the program today. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. Stay in touch. Have a great evening. Mm-hmm.